the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week you'll hear from a panel of guests on Brexit, trade wars and stock market wobbles. Megan Green, Global Chief Economist of Manulife, John Hancock Asset Management in New York, Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and Owen Callan, an equity analyst with Investec, joined me in studio to reflect on these major interrelated issues which could derail the Irish economic recovery in 2019. But first, Laura Slattery of the Irish Times joined me in studio to discuss the main business stories of the week. Laura, you're very welcome. And we should start uh, by offering you our congratulations on winning the a Smurfit Business Award for Interview of the Year, which is a very fine interview with Michael Bloomberg there recently. All right. Well, thanks, Giron. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, no, don't be embarrassed about this now. It's a, it's a great thing. But well, he's a billionaire, so... <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Uh, anyway, uh, let's start with our look back on the main business stories of the week. And we're going to start with RTE salaries. No billionaires there, but some very well-paid individuals nonetheless. That's right. Um, Ryan Tuberty, um, he retained his position as the highest paid uh, presenter at RTE, which he's mm-hmm. held since Pakeni left. And he was paid 495000 in uh, 2016. It's always backdated a couple of years. And that was, you know, the same as the year before, but a very healthy sum, uh, a lot of people would say. So he has the morning radio show and he has the late late. That's it. That's it. Uh, second place then was Ray Darcy and his salary actually went up 50000 to 450000 So Is that a full uh, year thing because he's yeah. come back to RTE? Is he that maybe just in, a full year salary? In, he came back in Jan- January 2015 so he was almost there for a full year in 2015 but I guess the TV show took a bit of time to, to, to get going so it mm. probably reflects that. There's some someone who would say it, it still hasn't <laughs> got going but anyway regardless <laughs> of, that, he, of course he's got a, an afternoon radio show and a TV show. That's right, really yeah. Does. I mean, most of these people are on, on both uh, TV and um, radio on a regular basis. I suppose the exceptions are the third-placed uh, Joe Duffy, uh, 389,000. <laughs> um, uh, Work again, mainly radio, uh, 308,000. Uh, and Marion Fanuke in fifth place, 300,000. And um, so actually, Maria McCallaghan dropped two places to six. She's also just hovering underneath 300,000. Um, and Claire Byrne, 216,000. Brian Dobson, uh, 198,000. Well, made the switch from the television news to Morning Ireland on yeah, radio. This was after these figures. So he was still on the 6 1 anchor at this point. And of course, uh, Sharon Yviolon, who was his co anchor, isn't on the list. And that was a, 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 an issue. Previously, yeah, yeah, well, she raised it in the wake of the uh, BBC gender pay gap uh, findings uh, that she wasn't paid the same as her co presenter. Neither of them are on the 6 1 anymore. Um, but we have uh, then in ninth place, uh, George Hamilton, the commentator. Now, he was on the list years ago, but he hasn't been on this list for some time. A lot time. of people might find that strange because RTE doesn't have as much live sport now as it used to. And I know we're going back a couple of years, so I suppose 2016, the Euros were on that year, Ireland played in that competition. So maybe that was uh, that was part of the reason why yeah. his, his salary was bumped up but a lot of people will find that strange because George Hamilton isn't a regular voice although he does I, I guess he does have a radio show in Lyric I guess FM. he either George or his agents just uh, are very good at negotiating <laughs> the, there, he was paid 186,000 in uh, 2016 and in 10th place then Mary Wilson the drive time mm. Radio 1 presenter 180 just over 185,000 and that's the I think the first time she's on the list and the first time I remember seeing 4 out of 10 women on, on this top 10 list So who dropped um, out? Who were the losers? 
losers, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it's a you know, if if these people are losers, <laughs> it's all relative. Then we're all losers. But Nicky Byrne was not on the list. Uh, he joined us in, in the year before when he, of course, became a two of two underground. He was earning the and year before. Um, yeah. Uh, so he's I don't know what happened <laughs> this year. I'll have to find out. Uh, I suspect he might be back on it again next year for the 2017 figures because, of course, he started co-presenting um, Dancing with the Stars that year. And, I, you know, I believe he's on a quite healthy amount of, of cash from RTE. And, of course, he's, he is leaving it uh, for a few months next year to do the Westlife tour. So I think, you know, which they are not totally, you know, jumping up and down a bit. So I think he can probably, to a certain extent, he has a, not name his price, but he certainly is in a good, you know, negotiating position. And the other person's drop off the list and I don't get, I don't know quite know why, it was Dara Maloney who'd sort of crept into 10th place last time around as... Uh, he could well be 11th. Yeah, it's a curious one because he's an employee. George Hamilton is a contractor. So, you know, OK, his his wages might vary from year to year depending on how many gigs he does. But Dara's on the books uh, yeah. at RT, essentially. And it's not that... Um, his was in 2015. It's not that the, uh, the people at the end of this list have overtaken what he was earning then. It's it's more that it looks like he is earning less. Or maybe a status so, changed. Yeah, could be. I don't know. So uh, overall, though, what's interesting is that the actual bill for, for 10 individuals has gone up. I mean, it's largely, I think, because of Ray Darcy, but uh, it's gone up by about 75,000, which means that it's crossed the 3 million mark, which, of course, you know, 10, 10 people getting 3 million. It's a, it's a lot of money for a country of this size, a market of this size. And although, you know, RTE can say, they can point back to the trend over time and say, well, we've cut our figures 32%, I think it is, uh, this time, over since 2008. Most of that reduction happened quite a long time ago when, say, people like Pat Kenny left and, and other people actually, you know, uh, retired or, 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 or so on. Um, so I don't know. Like, you know, Vorti Director General Dee Forbes says it's going to continue to be an area of focus for her. But but she, she's also sort of the, the usual um, disclaimers there about the Yes, so no doubt it's only, going to lead to something yeah. of a political outcry, yeah. uh, certainly from the opposition benches. Let's turn our focus now to retail and regular readers of uh, the Irish Times. Business section will know that uh, Premark in Belfast, its store was uh, burnt out essentially. Uh, quite a landmark building burnt out uh, very recently yeah, and it's, um, been, it, it's created a huge hole essentially in the retail market in Belfast, particularly in, in that particular area of the city. But some some better news. Well, better news in the sense that Primark has opened another store there, uh, but uh, it is still a sort of a grim grim time. So that that will bring you know has brought back a good bit, bit boost of, of of football there at the weekend uh, into the city centre from this I suppose pent up demand from Primark uh, customers who uh, have been without the store since since August and of course Primark they don't sell online so there's no other way of accessing them if you're uh, in Belfast and uh, we know them better here of course mm. as, as pennies but they they are such they are very popular because of the price points that they sell at and uh, so the fact that they're not online is that is that starting to bite do you think in terms I, of their business my opinion is that it, it is now they've always explained very well that the reason they don't sell online is just that the, because their price points are so low the margin just isn't there to allow for deliver postage and delivery and it's just the model that part of you know the model doesn't work if they were to add in warehouse costs and all the rest of it it just would sort of upset the thing um, but there are other 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 uh, broadcasters I was going to say but other retailers who um, who managed to do it at only slightly higher price points for their for their goods? So I think that's going to be something they have to look at. Especially, you know, most of their market is in the UK. Having a, there's a very challenging sort of retail high street situation there. You know, even if it doesn't bring from their co- 
customers, it has knock-on effects for their stores. You know, fewer uh, people in those high streets, the lower the footfall is in their stores. So it's, this is good news for Belfast, but I think there's a sense of, of, of realism, um, you know, about, about it, um, that it's what happened in August was actually just really, actually just terrible for for the city. You know, it is a very distinctive building. It's right there in the middle of everything. Uh, all the other shops and there were and other, a lot of other, other retailers, retailers yeah, affected sure. as well. So, yeah. yeah. And Belfast is a small city, so one big retailer can have a huge uh, knock-on effect. That's right, yeah. Now, at this time of year, it's always a bit of fun to look back and see what was uh, the most of this or the most of that. And you've been looking at Google searches and seeing what were the most popular ones during the year. Yeah, so in Ireland, uh, funny enough, the top search was the World Cup. Even though Ireland wasn't there. Exactly, Yeah. So, uh, and in fact, a lot there's quite a, a lot of surprise in this top list, I would say. Um, Any business-related ones? Yeah, well, um, in the what is mm-hmm. section. <laughs> so every year people go, what is, you know, <laughs> Brexit? <laughs> what is the EU was famously <laughs> a, a big <laughs> search term in 2016, the morning after the referendum result. Might be a little bit too late then. But uh, this year we had a Brexit-themed what is the backstop. That was in third place in the Irish list. A lot of people still scratching their yeah. heads about that. Yeah, what didn't appear actually in the, the top 10 I saw for the UK, which just goes to show, I guess, that interest in the backstop is a little bit higher in Ireland than it is in the UK. Yeah. If they were a little bit more interested in the backstop or knew more about it, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. But what is Bitcoin was, um, now that was number two on our list behind what is blasphemy, which is, of course, triggered by the, the referendum. But it was also number one in the UK list, what is Bitcoin? Um, so people are still scratching their heads trying to figure out what the hell this, uh, you know, <laughs> innovative cryptocurrency or scam on the other hand uh, scheme, is all about yeah. see it as so, G- GDPR what about GDPR? GDPR yeah what about it yeah people are like what the hell is this because I guess they were getting uh, vast numbers of people were getting uh, emails about GDPR vast number of emails uh, <laughs> from their um, aforementioned online retailers uh, telling them to update their details there ahead of the May deadline so they're probably like what the hell is all this um, and Ligma yeah what is Ligma I had well, to no, I haven't a clue. What is Ligma? Yeah, I had to Google it myself. I'm not ashamed to admit. It's a fictional disease, Kieran. <laughs> and it was part of a hoax that someone played on a gamer called Ninja, who I think is connected or involved heavily somehow in Fortnite. <laughs> that online craze. You're talking double Dutch um, to me yeah. now. Anyway, it's okay because um, people, people were a little bit worried about Ligma and maybe their chances of getting it, but they can't catch Ligma because Ligma... Well, I can feel a bit of ligament coming on with this conversation. (laughs) So I think we'll leave it there. Laura Slattery, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Now, we're going to take a break. Now, when we return, I'll be talking to Megan Green, Cliff Taylor and Owen Callan about trade wars, Brexit and stock market wobbles. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. You can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, it's been another tumultuous week in Brexit land while tensions between the United States and China have heightened and stock markets around the world have bobbed up and down. To help make sense of all this, I'm joined by phone from New York by Megan Green, Global Chief Economist of Manulife, John Hancock Asset Management, and in studio by Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and Owen Callan, 
an equity analyst with Investec. And we might start with uh, Megan. First of all, Megan, thank you for taking the time to join us by phone from New York. And maybe you could just give us your assessment of where, for example, the tensions, trade tensions between the United States and China are currently sitting and the volatility we're seeing in the stock market. What are the reasons behind that? Sure. So on trade, um, we've... The U.S. and China have reached a detente of sorts, um, and we've got 90 days um, starting December 1st to try to make some headway on um, reducing tensions. Um, the problem is, is that the detente doesn't fundamentally address any of the issues that are central to this conflict between the U.S. and China. And that's essentially who's going to be the biggest economy in the world, and it driven by excellence in artificial intelligence, machine learning, in quantum computing, um, both the U.S. and China are, in, are incentivized to want to have that role. Um, and so I don't think that we'll see either side back down. So I very much think this is a detente that's just temporary and that trade will probably get worse before it gets worse. I'm not convinced, actually, that the U.S. and China will make it the full 90 days um, during which they're supposed to be speaking um, before the U.S. goes ahead and escalates. Um, but it could do. Either way, I think we'll probably see an escalation of the tariffs, um, the latest round of tariffs that uh, are currently 10%, but will rise to 25%. And we could see additional tariffs announced on, on, on the rest of uh, goods that the U.S. imports from China. So um, I do think that that's probably just a short-term time That's caused some volatility in the markets, but it's certainly not the only thing. I think in the markets, it's not really a macro story. Um, I think mainly it's a repricing of the term premium. So um, it's a repricing of kind of inflation expectations, but also on a perception of risk for a number of economies. And so trade is one piece of that story. Brexit is another small piece of that story, I think, as well. Um, but I also think that commentary from the Fed has caused a repricing of the term premium. So back in October, the Fed chairman, Jay Powell, had said that the Fed was a really long way from the neutral rate, which suggested it would keep hiking. Um, and I think the markets completely overreacted to that. Um, and so more recently, a couple of weeks ago, Jay Powell said um, that the Fed is just below the range of estimates for the neutral rates. Um, and that's a factual statement. That's just true. But I think that the comment was dropped in prepared remarks. Um, it was a way for the Fed to kind of walk back the market's perception of what they'd said in October um, to suggest that actually the Fed's going to take a more dovish approach from here on out. Um, and I've always thought that would be the case, but I think the markets were taken by surprise. Um, there's a lot of gloominess out there on kind of the economy, particularly the U.S. economy, but also the global economy. Um, and I, I think it's overdone, to be honest. Um, I think what we'll see going into 2019 is a global synchronized growth story, just like we saw going into 2018. But whereas in 2018, um, everybody was seeing growth accelerate, this time around, everybody's seeing growth decelerate. So it's global synchronized growth without the fanfare because it's synchronized on the downside this time around. And most major economies are just converging with their potential GDP growth rate, which we always should have expected. So I think the U.S. is slowing down. Um, we'll continue to grow above potential GDP growth next year just because some fiscal stimulus measures are still coming through the system. Um, and, you know, potential GDP growth rate is, is around 2% for the U.S. Um, Europe in aggregate will be around 1.5%. That's potential GDP growth. And we've already seen Europe slow down pretty significantly towards that growth rate. Japan, somewhere between 05 and 1%. We're seeing Japan slow down pretty significantly, too. So I think it's, again, a global synchronized growth story, um, just, just more lackluster. So everybody's, it's a more boring story. Everybody's just converging with what their potential GDP growth is. Okay, Owen Callan, um, you're looking at the markets every day with Investec. 
What's your take on uh, what's happened with the stock markets? Because we, we saw a couple of uh, steep falls last week on Wall Street, uh, perhaps uh, helped uh, in, in a way by the fact that the markets were closed one day for the funeral of uh, the late President George Bush Sr. Yeah, I mean, um, I think as Megan suggested there, uh, this isn't some, you know, uh, recessionary, you know, concern that people have. It's simply uh, a reduction in the expected rate of growth uh, next year and beyond uh, compared to what we had previously. Uh, perhaps uh, a repricing of those geopolitical risks uh, in terms of Brexit. You know, we've gone from maybe assuming some sort of uh, muddle through soft Brexit to, you know, a real concern about a hard Brexit, uh, as, as we're seeing obviously this week. Um, Italy obviously has come up this year. Uh, as a major issue and that Eurozone political crisis has come back when we thought that maybe it had gone away uh, and, and uh, as has been uh, suggested there previously um, you know there is a, 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 a suggestion that global monetary policy will not be uh, as reined in to the same extent in 2019 and 2020 as we had probably previously assumed so where we had looked for two or three rate hikes in, from the US next year we're now expecting maybe just one where we'd certainly seen uh, the strong possibility uh, of at least one rate hike from the ECB next year. That's maybe now being pushed out to 2020. And obviously with those Brexit uncertainties, uh, it's unclear what the Bank of England will be doing next year. So from three of the major central banks, uh, there's either uncertainty or certainly uh, less likelihood of them to hike rates or uh, decrease their accommodative policies that they have in place already. Just put into context what this um, uncertainty in stock markets means for Irish stocks. How has the ISEC done, let's say, in the last couple of weeks, even year to date, well, I mean, it, in, in fairness, this has been a European kind of uh, kind of move uh, as, as well as what we've seen in the US. So uh, the Isaac has done no better, no worse than really what we've seen in the rest of Europe. There is some Irish, you know, individual issues. We do know the housing market is still struggling to really get going in terms of the supply of new homes. We know that's hitting the banks in terms of their new lending prospects. Um, so that is certainly a negative. Obviously, we know the Irish economy is close to, to Brexit. So any hard Brexit scenario is likely to have some sort of negative impact on the Irish economy. So the Isaac and the Irish Bank have probably slightly underperformed uh, in the last couple of weeks. But really, this has been a European-wide uh, move and a, and a globally synchronised move, as Megan suggested. Um, so it's it's not that Ireland is, is suffering more than most. And when you look at the growth uh, prospects for Ireland next year, they're still far in excess of what we're going to see in the rest of Europe. So we're seeing... What, one what are you guys predicting for Irish GDP growth? We think between 4 and 5%. And obviously, GDP at a headline level is you know uh, a questionable metric uh, to use, given the, the multinational sector and the impact it has. But, you know, from a real underlying economic expansion perspective, we look for 4 to 5% absent some significant Brexit shock, which is a bit more difficult uh, to ascertain how much impact it would have. But either way, you're still looking at something probably in excess of 3% next year uh, in Ireland, which will still be, you know, double what you're likely to see in the rest of Europe. Yeah, OK. Uh, Cliff, this is almost your weekly slot about Brexit, and it has yeah. been another tumultuous a few days in Brexit land. I mean, Theresa May now facing a, a no-confidence vote today. We won't know the result of that until sometime late tonight, unfortunately. However, uh, either way, it's uh, she's in a very difficult spot. Even if she survives this, it's clear that the withdrawal agreement that she negotiated, uh, it's not possible to get it through Parliament. There isn't enough support there for that. I don't know where she goes uh, fr from there, even if she does survive. And as Owen says, uh, a hard Brexit um, or a no-deal Brexit or whatever would obviously have consequences for Ireland. And ESRI had a report out this morning uh, just on growth forecasts for Ireland and it sounded a, a very large warning bell in relation to the impact of Brexit. Yeah, nobody's quite sure where the Brexit story is going now. As you say, Theresa May seems to have little chance of getting the withdrawal agreement through the Commons. 
you know, is there a scenario in which she wins the vote, uh, she gets some concessions from Europe and can bring it back? Even that's looking difficult, maybe not impossible. Uh, and I guess the problem from looking at the UK is that there's no obvious uh, course of action which the House of Commons seems prepared to coalesce around just for the moment. Uh, so, you know, m- might we be heading for another vote in the UK? We might. Uh, I, th- I think the likelihood... Another Brexit vote? A referendum? Another, 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 another referendum, yeah, we might. I think that the likelihood of that has increased and most commentators would would say the likelihood of that has increased. You know, still still not a certainty by any means, but it is one of the one of the ways out of this political conundrum is to, is to go back to the people. At the other end of the spectrum, might be looking at an no-deal exit where, where a deal just can't be done. Uh, you know, perhaps with some measures to try and mitigate it agreed between the EU and the UK we might be looking at that either but it's still it's still very unclear you're right the ESRI sounded a warning note this morning saying the Irish rate of growth might be halved next year to 2.6% in the event of a no deal Brexit uh, and really what a no deal Brexit does is it brings the costs of Brexit we know Brexit's going to cost but a no deal brings the costs into a much shorter space of time for Ireland and, and makes it all a bit more uncertain I think in the worst case scenario, you, you could even argue that uh, the SRI has been a bit optimistic because if you look at what the Bank of England was saying and the modelling it did for the UK economy in the very worst case when there's holdups to trade, uh, chaos on the market, starting falling, it was looking at a very significant sharp and initial fall in UK GDP. In that kind of scenario, it's hard to see Ireland continuing to grow next year. But we're dealing with such a level of uncertainty, really, that it's... Uh, you know, it's 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 very hard. It's very hard to model it. And, and now, Brexit here has kind of dismissed the Bank of England's uh, yeah part of project forecast, fear, yeah. uh, claiming it's part of project fear, and saying that they were wrong uh, in terms of the immediate yeah. uh, aftermath of the Brexit referendum vote. So, you know, they sure. could very well be wrong again this time. They were around. quite strikingly bad uh, and really out of the range of what anybody else has said in terms of how quickly the impact would hit. Uh, but I guess that's perhaps just a, just a reflection of the level of uncertainty that an no-deal Brexit would bring in terms of trade, hold-ups at ports and airports, uh, disruption to services, disruption to aviation, big hits to confidence in investment, consumer confidence. Uh, we really don't know how that's going to play out economically. There's nothing we can go back to and and, and use as a really as a you know a benchmark for that. It's it's really finger in the air stuff. Yeah, Owen, actually that confidence and sentiment piece is very important, isn't it? Because the ESRI has said they've done their number crunching, but they've accepted that it doesn't factor in uh, confidence and sentiment and how that might be impacted, let's say, if there's a a no-deal Brexit or even if there's a second referendum uh, scenario because, who knows, uh, all sorts of decisions might be put on pause. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, this is called into question, you know, kind of how people view um, the structure and the responsibility of UK politics and the institutional uh, stability that is usually perceived to be there uh, and now people question it. International investors are really aghast at what's happened in the UK in terms of the dysfunction that Brexit has brought about around uh, UK politics and you know a kind of Trump-like commentary around you know Project Fear and you can't trust the Bank of England or the UK Treasury forecasts and it's all you know kind of a political conspiracy and things like that and how that then feeds into the markets or how it feeds into investor or even consumer perceptions is always kind of quite difficult to, to play out. I mean in Ireland from our perspective Unless you're directly exposed to the UK and nothing happens to your job next year, you shouldn't ordinarily change your behaviours, but you probably will. You know, we still know people want to buy houses and need to buy houses and there's a lot of pent-up demand. Will some of them delay 
putting off that decision because they're kind of on a second or third degree of relation worried about their job prospects going forward and therefore they delay buying a house. So it's always very difficult to model that and, and, and to understand investment decisions that get put off or whatever. Certainly, I think it's quite likely that people will delay making big decisions, whether it's at a household budget level or whether it's at, a, at a, an investment perspective uh, for you know an investor or for a company investing in its own business for you know February and March and April next year. I think it would be a very brave person who's going ahead with a big decision at that stage unless they really feel they have no exposure at all to Brexit. So certainly in that kind of that, you know, Q1, Q2 next year, we could see a disruption or a disorderly impact on the uh, Irish and UK economy because of that Brexit fear. Megan, I just wonder if Brexit has been debated much on your side of the Atlantic. And I also wonder whether uh, American companies are perhaps uh, sitting on their hands a little bit in terms of investment decisions they might make in the UK uh, or Ireland or even Europe generally. Yeah, so um, for the most part, I think on this side of the ocean, most investors think that Brexit will really only affect the UK. Um, You know, it could have implications for Ireland to be sure, but most US investors are thinking about Europe more broadly and they feel like maybe there will be some blowback on the rest of Europe, um, but really probably no implications for the U.S. economy, for Asian economies. So um, Brexit has mainly been really great daytime TV, I think, for most investors sitting on this side of the ocean. Um, Beyond that, if they have some investments in the U.K., certainly they're interested. I know I work for an asset manager. We have an office in London. You know, we're coming up with other offices, um, I think, in Dublin, maybe, (laughs) so, so that we can operate um, even in the instance of a hard Brexit. So I think firms now who have any actual exposure to the UK um, can no longer kind of wait and see what's going to happen. Everybody has to plan for a hard Brexit. So there are some implications for firms and investors in the US that way. But for the most part, it seems likely to mainly hit the UK economy. If you don't have exposure to the UK economy, then most people are just ignoring Brexit. Yeah. Now, there is a narrative around Donald Trump's presidency that he's mad and a lot of the decisions he's taking are mad and so forth. But we're almost at the end of the year. Uh, as you reflect back on the year, has it been a good or bad year for Trump in terms of his economic policies and what he's managed to get through or not get through? Um, so it depends on what you um, think the objectives were. And that's really hard to guess with someone um, who's so volatile as Trump. Um, from an economic standpoint, I think there have been some victories. So um, deregulation has been um, actually pretty impressive. I don't know why the administration isn't shouting it from the rooftops, but um, it's sort of been happening quietly. It was one of President Trump's um, first initiatives was to insist that no new regulation be uh, introduced unless regulation was being rolled off as well. So there's been significant deregulation when you talk to CEOs of companies They'll say that the business operating environment has really improved for them over the course of this year. So that's been a success. Um, in the short term, the tax bill has been a success just because it's goosed the system and boosted our growth well above potential GDP. Um, the problem is comes in the medium to long term because, of course, we're blowing out our budget deficit um, at the same time. And so... That also has implications for our, our current account balance. Um, so if the administration um, is insistent that it doesn't want to have trade deficits with other, other countries um, because that's an unfair you know, trade practice, then um, the, the budget deficit actually plays into that to some degree. So that's been a failure, I would say. Um, we saw some investment by firms at the beginning of the year because of the tax bill. So that was a victory. But of course, that's totally petered out because of uncertainty around trade. So I'd say trade hasn't played particularly well for the domestic economy in the U.S. Um, you've read stories about soybean farmers who just have soy crops 
rotting in the fields um, because of tariff. GM is shutting down three plants. Um, that's that's partly a rate story, but it, it's mainly a steel and aluminum tariff story. So um, I think for the most part, trade has been a big negative for the U.S. Um, and also for global trade. Um, it just takes a while, I think, for people to, you know, for Joe Sixpack to really recognize that. And so the the political side of trade, which is that the U.S. is standing up to China in particular and is uh, you know, President Trump is standing up for the country um, and, and getting rid of unfair trade deals. That's played out really well politically. It just takes a while for the roosters to come home to roost and for people to realize actually economically we're doing quite badly out of this. So I think that will be a negative once people realize that. Cliff, uh, Venner Hoy of the European Investment Bank president of the EIB was in town last week. He was announcing some funding for projects in Ireland and we're going to get close to 900 million in, in funding from low-cost, long-term funding from the EIB, which is good. But he sounded a lot of negatives uh, in his uh, speech at a, a conference organised by the Department of Finance, highlighted many of the issues that you guys have already um, talked about. And I asked him afterwards whether he feared that a, another global recession uh, was on the horizon and he said it was not unlikely, which is probably as, as far as any of these uh, civil servants in Europe will go in, in terms of calling a recession. But it's quite worrying for a country like Ireland, which is so open, isn't it, that we have all of these clouds, potential clouds at least, on the horizon, um, like Brexit and uh, trade wars and, and so forth, uh, at a time when our recovery is still a little bit fragile. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly an unusual level of uncertainty heading into 2019. There's no doubt about that. I mean, if you take the scenario that Megan outlined there, a gradual slowdown in international growth, gradual slowdown in US growth, <clears throat> and perhaps interest rates, as Owen said, increasing a bit more slowly than we had anticipated. That's that's okay from the Irish point of view. That still means Ireland can keep growing at a, at, at a strong rate. Uh, maybe export markets are a little less buoyant. Uh, maybe inward investment is a little less buoyant. But interest rates are staying lower. So, you know, still still okay from an Irish point of view. I think there's no question but that our growth is, is going to slow from the rates we've seen over the last few years. There's been a bounce back from the, uh, a level of growth from the bounce back from the crisis that just that just can't continue. So I guess the the big risks to us next year come from the, the two things we've been talking about. One, one, one being Brexit and the risk of an no-deal Brexit, uh, which really kind of all focuses around whether the transition period comes in next March when the UK leaves if indeed they do leave next March, uh, or, or, or not, uh, it's kind of as simple as that. And I guess the other worry for Ireland is that the trade issue becomes much bigger, that there, there are tariffs, as Megan said, between new tariffs between the US and China. Maybe that Europe gets dragged in, because remember the whole tariff situation there has kind of been put on hold as well, and Trump has still been talking about German cars and putting tariffs on that. So they're the two worries from the Irish point of view. A gradual international slowdown, no problem from our point of view. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought one of these big events going wrong and and throwing uh, leading us into a recession heading into twenty twenty. Well, that does give us more to worry about for sure. Yeah, Owen, uh, just in terms of the markets, let's say for Q one, if one of your clients uh, comes to you and, and asks for a read on the markets in Q one, what would you be telling them? Um, I think unless obviously we get some sort of conclusion on the Brexit issues, you know, early on, uh, whether this month or, or in January. Um, the Brexit noise will continue to be a drag on market sentiment into March and possibly even slightly beyond while we kind of figure out what, what happens. So until that kind of clears up and that could well be the middle of, of, of next year, then I think um, it will be a very tricky market to navigate. Uh, at the moment, that said, we've had a lot of that priced in already. We've had a, a large reversal off the highs that we would have seen uh, earlier this year. 
Um, so the, the risk for further downside is probably somewhat limited. But I think we will have a choppy and unlikely to be a kind of, you know, strong you know, net positive, uh, should we say, uh, period uh, over the next few months while we work out what's going on with Brexit, while we work out what's going on with the US-China uh, trade situation, and maybe while things like Italy and France uh, clear themselves up a little bit more. So I would think it's a case of, you know, making sure um, that your investment uh, portfolio or, or, or whatever you're invested in is is not too exposed to any particular sector over the next few months and, and hold in there waiting for things to clear. Uh, as, as Cliff and as Megan said, you know, we're likely to have a slowdown in growth but not a collapse in growth next year not a, an outright recession albeit those risks are clearly higher now than they would have been uh, a year ago um, but there could be a clearer position or a clearer portion uh, of the year once we get through Brexit next year where we can then rebuild a bit more constructively uh, into 2020. Are any clients from overseas expressing a concern about Ireland in particular? They're not expressing a concern from a Brexit perspective in Ireland. I think people realise that you know Ireland isn't as intertwined with the UK as previously. I think there is a concern that um, there will be a small hit to Ireland from Brexit and then other issues around the banking sector, around the construction sector where maybe overdone in terms of their positivity, you know, six or nine months ago, and they're being repriced lower. That's, we've seen the building uh, firms, we've seen the REITs, and we've seen uh, the banks obviously a lot lower in the last six months as people kind of reprice the potential for uh, activity going forward. As we know, there is still a housing crisis or a rental crisis of sorts within the Irish economy, and that's still going to take a few years to, to, to figure out. So Brexit is a concern, but only one of maybe two or three uh, amidst a generally positive outlook that people still have for Ireland. Finally, Megan, uh, this might be a good buying opportunity. If you believe in the fundamentals of certain companies that have been around a long time, this might be a good buying opportunity, perhaps when there's a bit of weakness in the markets. Yeah, and I think um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you, you mentioned fundamentals, right? So I think what we're seeing is a rotation out of um, growth stocks into value stocks. So, um, you know, for the past couple of years, and particularly in the past year, growth stocks have been really in vogue. So if you thought corporate earnings were going to go through the roof for a lot of these companies, and we're talking like the fangs, for example, um, then you'd be willing to pay really high multiples for them because you thought they'd be growing a lot anyhow. Um, that's, that seems to not be performing well at all these days. And so um, value stocks are more in vogue where you're seeing um, you know, investors look for stocks that are underpriced, but that are based on really good fundamentals, so value stocks. Um, so we are seeing that rotation happen now. And so, I, you know, I think if you're thinking about constructing your own portfolio, it's, it's worth thinking of things in those terms as well. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. We might, uh, it's a topic we'll probably return to next year, no doubt. That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Laura Slattery, Megan Green, Cliff Taylor and Owen Callan. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Research was by Michael O'Dwyer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>